Good morning. Let's begin with a prayer, shall we? Stir up your power, O Lord, and come, that by your protection we may be rescued from the threatening perils of our sins and saved by your mighty deliverance. For you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Let all of God's people say amen. Welcome to the season of the church year known as Advent. I could say Happy New Year, but after 22 years, you're probably getting a little sick of that corny beginning. So we'll just mark it this way. Advent's definition is the arrival or the notable arrival of some sort of person, event, or thing into the lives of God's people. And in the case of us here, this notable event that we're making note of is the arrival of... Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And you'll notice that, generally speaking, in Advent, the midweek Advent services are reserved for looking at those Old Testament prophecies that foretold of Jesus' first coming. It doesn't have to be that way, but historically that's kind of the way it's been. But here on the first Sunday of Advent, we tend to be reminded of a theme that we had not too long ago, like maybe three weeks ago when we celebrated Last Judgment. And so today we're being, being reminded of this notable arrival of Jesus' second coming. That's kind of the focus. And can we ever hear that message too much? I would say, given our busy lives and how easily distracted we are like Af or Australian magpies by shiny things, we probably cannot be reminded too many times of Jesus' second arrival and to be prepared and watchful for that. So, Advent reminds us of a couple of things. I've described it in the past as being a season that reminds us that we get ourselves into these psychological ruts throughout the past 365 days, or these intellectual models that we've created for ourselves of how my world is supposed to operate and how you're supposed to operate within my world. Or we get these preconceived notions that we have either as Christians about certain aspects of theology or just how life should go as me as a Christian living in this, in this world and this sometimes little wonky theology that we start kind of developing. We're reminded of these things and these things can cause in us a kind of sort of, well, we can be turned into spiritual zombies from one aspect or on the other aspect we can be given this kind of spiritual dementia or we just kind of lose track of what the truth is about this season of the church here. A spiritual dementia that can just lead us into this dullness and this grayness and this fog. We can almost call it spiritual sads. You forget to be ready for the arrival of your Savior Jesus the second time. Advent reminds us that it is only God's word that can reverse this effect of the spiritual zombiness, this attention deficit syndrome that we allow it to kind of come over us. And Advent is the season, I pray, with its extra energy and its extra emphasis on this second coming of Jesus, that it can inject into us just these massive amounts of oxygen-producing alertness and faithfulness that just kind of perks us up and gets our heads to kind of perk up and look around and go, yeah, I need to be like this the rest of the time of the year as well. So ponder this on the first Sunday of Advent. There is a link between Christmas Day 
And that day that we know is described as the Son of Man coming in the clouds in the future. And that link is Jesus. And unless you're here for the first time in your life and you've never heard anything about the Christian calendar or the arrival of Jesus, Christmas is a celebration of the coming of God's Son into this world the first time. And the day that we call last judgment, or that great day of the Lord, is the day that we know that he is going to be his second coming. And in more ways than we may have thought this morning, Jesus is going to tie a link for us between his first coming at Christmas and his second coming, which we could call his second Christmas. And we're going to see why that is in just a few minutes. But his point is for us is this. He starts out by saying, be ready. Be watchful, be on guard, and we can't take that to heart too much, too strongly. Advent reminds us to be ready for the return of Christ, just as Noah was ready for the rain that was going to bring the flood, that was going to bring the destruction of the world. Because when Jesus comes back, he is going to come with either grace in his hands or he is going to come with judgment in his hands. But when Jesus appears on the scene, it's going to be too late. Mark that well. Mark that well as you listen to the rest of this message and your brain maybe goes softly off the line of the dialogue from the sermon and you're led to think about people that you know. How many times in 22 years have you heard that message come from this mouth? Wake up. Wake up and hear it fresh for the first time yet once again. It's going to come with grace or judgment, and for each of us there's going to be only one outcome. How in all the world do you prepare for that? How do you get ready for either grace or for judgment? Well, you examine yourself. Do I believe that Jesus is my only Savior from sin, death, and hell? Yes, I do then he'll be coming with grace. I don't care who this Jesus is, whether he's going to come as my only Savior from sin, death, and hell. Then he's going to be coming with judgment. And you know people that fit very easily, very simply, into one of those two designations, one of those two camps. Do we hope somehow, or do you have people that know or think that somehow that when Jesus comes back again, they're going to be good enough to pass the bar? that they're going to be good enough to be allowed into heaven when he returns on that great last day. Except, how in all the world, if you are honest with yourself, how do you think that you can honey up a really bad sour yogurt with enough honey before it finally becomes... You can't. You can't sweeten up sin. You can't make sin be what it is not. It is sin. You can't dilute it. You can't adulterate it. It needs to be removed and eliminated. Good enough, approaching God, is kind of like trying to change the outcome of a funeral by walking up to the casket and spraying some nice expensive perfume on it. That's not going to do anything other than waste some nice expensive perfume. It's not good enough. Only God is good enough. Jesus himself said that. And only God's righteousness is good enough to be able to eliminate this sin that condemns us to an everlasting departure from him in a place that we do not want to spend eternity. It's going to be that day as the Apostle Paul, without Jesus' righteousness, that day that Jesus arrives, 
is going to be like this. Men will faint from terror, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. How do you prepare for that? You wake up. You wake up your neighbors. You wake up your children. You wake up your coworkers, and you say, be on watch, be on guard. Because when he comes, it's going to be too late. Because the decision has already been made. And it's going to appear, as you've decided, you don't want anything to do with him. So he's going to judge accordingly. Be on your guard, he says. Be alert. Be watchful. But sometimes you just need to say the truth. Before they can be on guard, before they can be watchful, before they can be alert, you just got to sometimes grab them by the lapel, get them in their face, and say, just wake up. Wake up and look around you. See how this world is going. Do you want to go with it? You don't know when he's going to return. What do you do? You listen to Jesus because he knows you better than he knows yourself. And so he's going to walk us through this morning what it is that we need to do in order to be more watchful and be alert and be on our guard. Rather than prove his godliness... By announcing some sort of expiration date for the world, Jesus showed far more his wisdom by presenting this parable to his disciples. This parable about a man who was going to go away on a trip, and he doesn't describe when he's returning. Rather, what he does is he entrusts into his servants, and the analogy is not hard for you and me to figure out. He entrusts to his servants their own personal responsibility for faithfulness to look after what he has left in their charge. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with his assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Folks, the waiting church is the watching church, and the watching church is the working church. And God forbid there should be anyone within this working church that is an inactive servant in the household of God. And if you are an inactive servant, what it means is you're not taking your personal responsibility that the Lord has given you as a priest in his kingdom. You haven't woken up. You haven't heard the truth. Between now and and his return, each of us has our assigned tasks. Your and my primary vocation is known as Christian, and all that that entails. But we've got a boatload of other responsibilities that gets tucked into that title of Christian, don't we? And that title of the other vocations, father, mother, husband, wife, son, daughter, uncle, aunt, government worker, engineer, electrician, you name it. And all those things keep us really busy during the day, don't they? Yeah, they do. Is that some sort of excuse to set aside the responsibilities that our Lord has given us as priests in his kingdom? Oh, not in the slightest. But, you know, we get ourselves busy, and sometimes we forget that part of the job description of the vocation of Christian is that we don't always get to call the shots of how we spend our time. But we often think that because it is my life and vocation is over here and today I'm going to be just skip and I'm going to do what I want to do on my agenda 
right? And what happens as a result of that is we say, well, someday, someday I will find the time to actually be able to come and worship on a regular basis, just like Pastor Getzinger defines regular, and that is every single Sunday. Uh, Right? Someday, when COVID no longer threatens, I'll be able to get more involved into the ministry of St. Paul. Someday I'll be able to read my Bible more when the children are older and I have the time to be able to read my Bible more for my own spiritual discernment and edification at home. Someday I will be able to attend Sunday morning Bible study on a more regular basis or join Karen Getzinger over at her house with all those other wonderful women to attend women's Bible study. Someday I will be able to actually muster the courage to be able to share with my cousin Judy why it's so important that she have her baby baptized. Someday I'm actually going to be able to muster the courage to sit down with my dad and tell him why Christmas is so darn important and why he knows, needs to know the story revolving around that. Someday you're going to get to all of these things. Wake up. Someday never comes. It doesn't happen. You have to intentionalize it. As Jesus' faithful servants, let's listen to this parable and let's apply it to ourselves and let's take seriously this personal responsibility that he has given to each one of us. And today as we're gathered here together on this corny title of the church's New Year's Day, if you want to call it that, I came up with real quickly three little simple New Year's resolutions that we could all apply to ourselves and walk out of here with today and apply them for the rest of our lives. The first is this, number one, the best way for you to prepare to meet your Savior Jesus is to never allow yourself to get into a position where you have ever left the presence of your Savior Jesus. Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 10. Faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. Personal responsibility for what? for keeping your own soul fed. Resolution number two, now with your own soul fed, now you can look after the souls of others that you know of or who have been trusted to your responsibility. You can serve as a watchman for others, which is a very biblical example taken from the Old Testament. If people don't know why Christmas came, why there is a Christmas, then they are living in a cemetery right now without even knowing it. They are DOA. You know that acronym? Dead on arrival before Jesus even comes on his second second coming. But it's not too late. It's not too late for you to take the opportunity to be able to share with them the reason why Christmas was, the reason why Jesus needed to come. It's not too late for you to take personal responsibility to share the most important life message that anyone can hear in the days that the Lord gives them life and breath. You can take personal responsibility to be a hero in someone's life, to be your brother's keeper. So what do you do? You pray, and then you act. And if you are a sermon note taker, just jot away Ephesians chapter 6, verse 19. You can look it up later. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 19, Paul said to the Ephesians, 
Pray also for me, that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, or to really drive it home, the mystery of the word of life. New Year's resolution number three. How about some personal responsibility for the ministry of your church? There's this urban legend rolling around that I think we finally set a, a f funeral date for the women of St. Paul. Is that true? That would really be sad. If you're a woman, and there's a group called the Women of St. Paul, I'm wondering if you have any vested interest whatsoever in trying to preserve that organization. Because they do a lot of good ministry around here, and I don't mean just making casseroles for the guys. How about the concept of maybe actually kind of looking at your retirement years and thinking about signing on as a voting member of this congregation so that you could actually have a say in how the funds are spent, how ministry is going, getting involved, and what direction the ministry of this church is headed. Think about how could you serve as a Sunday school teacher? How could you serve on one of the various boards of this congregation? Do you have the gift of leadership and you've been on one of those boards for any number of years and you could actually allow your name to stand as one of the chairmen of one of the many boards that makes this, this ministry of ours operate? You see, the truth of the matter is that um, Jim and Murray Johnson and myself, Lee McWilliam, Paul Greken, we're not getting any younger. Truth of the matter is, shocking. We're not going to be here forever. The Lord's eventually going to call us home. Young men of the congregation, you have what it takes. If you didn't, we wouldn't say that to you and blow, blow smoke up your skirt. We'd help you get there. It really is time for the young men of our congregation to kind of look around and see, how, how can I step up? And it's not seizing the call for yourself. It's offering your services to walk up to the chairman of your congregation or one of the board members and say, you know, I think I'd really like to find a way how I can serve in my church. Help me do that. I think the other thing that is involved in this last part of taking hold of the responsibility, personal responsibility for the ministry of your church is thinking about your personal stewardship. I think it's glaringly apparent that the last two and a half years of COVID have really shown us that our reliance on the income source from that parking lot is a very precarious source of income. In other words, we probably should not rely on it as far as meeting our daily needs for the ministry of this church. For, for grand projects above and beyond, absolutely. Yeah, the Lord has entrusted it to us and let us use it for that. But for day-to-day -day operations, probably not the wisest move. So let me just stop here and, and let's collect our thoughts and let's just kind of summarize it by me asking you, why would you want to do any of these things? Why would you want to stop doodling in your worship folder right now and actually stop and pause 
and try to grapple with an answer to the question, why in all the world would I want to do any of these things that have been mentioned in this sermon so far? Isn't it going to inconvenience your life a little bit? Why in all the world would you roust yourself out of your slumber and take personal responsibility for the ministry of your congregation? I'll tell you why. Because Christ's love compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. You see, this is the Jesus who drives you to your knees and points his law at you and says, condemned, guilty. Guilty as charged. This is the one who points out to you that you have acted selfishly with the gifts that he has freely and graciously entrusted to you. And you've, you've manipulated them and you've massaged them and you've twisted them and you've used them to your own advantage rather than to the glory of his name. This is the same Savior who we have failed to be watchful, we have failed to be alert, but this Jesus is the one who is perfectly watchful in taking care of every single one of your sins so that not one shred of one part would be left to condemn you to hell. When you fail to feed your soul with his word on a regular basis, this is the Jesus who doesn't despise you. This is the Jesus who shakes his head and clucks his tongue in typical Iranian fashion. He doesn't spurn you. He comes after you like a lost sheep. And he reminds you how much he loves you and how much he has done for you. And he urges you to get your, your heart and your eyes back into his word. When you fail to be your brother's keeper, this is the Jesus who reminds you that he forgives and forgets the sins of your brother, but he has also done the same thing for you. And this is... This is the Jesus that when you cry out to him and you say, be merciful to me, O God, this is the Jesus who speaks and replies back to you, says, I already have. I already have. Your judgment is finished. At his second Christmas, we said that there's a link between Jesus' first Christmas and his judgment day, which we could say is his second Christmas. So what is this that makes his second Christmas so special for you? Well, he gives you a gift. He gives you a gift that gives you eyes and ears and a mouth and a brain and a soul and a reunited body with your soul that's actually going to be able to see the beatific vision for your very self. You're going to be able to actually experience this heaven which you have been patiently and sometimes not so patiently waiting for all the days of your life on this side of the veil of tears. This is the gift that he is going to give to you because of his grace and his mercy. And this is the gift that's going to rouse you from your slumber and cause you to want to serve him with more zeal and effervescence and excitement that you've ever served him in all the days of your life. Brothers and sisters in Christ, be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. This is the gospel of Advent. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Wake up and proclaim it. Amen. Please stand.
The peace of God which surpasses all understanding, it will guard and will keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.